Great. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, John. Always a little bit different when John leads. Uh, If it's your first time here this morning, probably won't be quite the same next week because John, I love it when John leads, but it's it's really special. And and it would be great, actually, just to pause now and to think, actually, what have I already learned this morning? What's God already said to me through maybe something John said uh, through the prayers we've just heard? Um, This is the time, isn't it? The the time in the week when we gather together and... um, all those other hours in the week, hopefully we're spending time reading the Bible, praying, but this time is a special time, isn't it? And it's a concentrated time, and we're, we're, we're singing lots of songs, and they're so filled with beautiful words, and um, we're challenged in so many ways, and it's easy when we go back out from here for that just all to sort of drift away, isn't it? So let's just, let's just take a moment to pause and pray that as now we come to reflect on that passage that James read to us, that God will speak to us. So let's, again, as James encouraged us to do, to pause, to rejoice, to ask, and to yield. Lord God, many churches today will be uh, reflecting on today as Bible Sunday. And as we come now to your word, the Bible, we pray that you will help us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. That's through it, your Holy Spirit may change us, may equip us, may help us to know you more deeply and serve you more faithfully. Amen. I haven't got the clicker, so I'll have to um, give you the nod then. So we're around um, halfway through our series on the book of Acts, and we're looking at ten different topics. And the title each week is something like The Church Is or The Church Does Something. So it's meant to be a practical series. And I hope you are allowing it to challenge what you do And I hope that as a church we are allowing it to challenge what we do. And this topic, this week's topic, as you can see on the screen, is the church prays. And we've already been thinking about that this morning. And we're looking, we're going to look at that prayer that James read to us from Acts chapter 4. And if you have a Bible, please do turn it up. Uh, The verses will be coming on the screen, but it would be great if you could have it open in front of you um, on your phone if necessary. And it's an example of a really good prayer. It's a good prayer, a prayer to learn from, as I hope we'll do this morning, and a prayer to aspire to, but not a prayer to be intimidated by. Sometimes a simple prayer, a one-phrase prayer, is all that's needed. Father, help me. Lord Jesus, save me. Holy Spirit, overwhelm me. You can't get better prayers than those. They are great prayers. And sometimes the Spirit even helps us to pray with wordless groans, we're told in Scripture. The devil might sometimes whisper in your ear, you can't pray. You're not good enough to pray. You can't say anything to God that he will think is worth hearing. But that is a lie. There is nothing God wants more than to hear your simple, 
humble, urgent prayer. Prayer, there's a, we've sung some old songs this morning, actually, um, but we haven't sold this one. Uh, this is a really old hymn. It contains this verse. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice returning from his ways, while angels in their songs rejoice and cry, Behold, he prays. When we pray, heaven rejoices, even the simplest prayers. But with that in mind, I want to look at a few features of this prayer in Acts chapter 4. And uh, if we could have the next one, please. Firstly, the first verse, verse 23 there, on their release, so Peter and John, you have to read back and see the context, but Peter and John had been in prison, and it's, it's a long story, and it, it gets worse actually in Acts, the, the persecution and the harassment of the believers get worse. But on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, to the early church, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So look firstly at the context of this prayer. Look at, look at the situation in which it was prayed. Persecution, intimidation, and so on. Prayer is for all times in our lives, but there is a temptation when we're hard-pressed in any way to put it off. Of course, avoiding praying is exactly what the devil wants us to do. But I'd say that in the Bible, the most normal context for prayer is pressure and suffering. The flip side, and John's already alluded to this, is that when things are going well for us, don't expect the devil to let up. Don't expect the devil to whisper in your ear, oh, now would be a good time to pray when everything's going well. Don't expect prayer naturally to come naturally to your sinful nature. But when things are going well, now is the time to get into good and godly habits. Peter and John could have said, oh, we're out of prison now, let's have a party. But what they actually did was to celebrate with a prayer meeting. So what's your context at the moment? What's your life like? Is it hard or is it easy? And are you allowing either of those two imposters, the easiness or the hardness, to give you excuses not to pray? Whatever our context, whatever's going on in our lives, the thing we must absolutely do is cry out to God in prayer to make that our priority. Let's move on. When they heard this, that's everybody, the whole community of believers, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. It's a community of prayer. It's something they did together. Prayer is corporate. And it raises an interesting question, doesn't it, about this prayer? I don't know if you, you ask yourselves these kind of questions, but I think sometimes we're a bit too familiar with Scripture, and we don't think, well, well what, does, what does Luke actually mean when he recounts the prayer that, that we're about to read, which the believers said together? Did the apostles make a PowerPoint presentation and project it up onto the wall, and everybody read it out together? No, that, that's not what happened, strangely enough. Not just because they didn't have PowerPoint, but I think it was more spontaneous than that. So what did they do? How did they raise their voices together in prayer to God and say these words? Well, I suspect that they didn't all literally say all these words. My guess is that Luke is somehow capturing the mood of the meeting. 
as one believer after another, inspired by the Holy Spirit, cried out to God. And, and perhaps as they got to the end of the meeting, one or more of the apostles summarized things in a, in a closing prayer to which everyone said a hearty amen. I'm guessing that's the kind of thing that went on in this prayer meeting. And in Acts, we're given this picture of the early church as a worshipping community. Their worship took place firstly in the temple and then in their house churches. And praying together was at the core of their life. During the 10 days in the upper room between Christ's ascension and Pentecost, we're told that the 120 believers joined together constantly in prayer as they waited for the Holy Spirit. And we have many other examples in Acts. In fact, as we, as we go through Acts, we see that corporate prayer, praying together, is very important. Often when the church is at a crucial point in its development, when they had a choice about which of two directions to go in, when they're about to start a new venture, a new missionary initiative, what do we see happening? The church comes together and they pray. Should we do that today? Or should we not bother? Is corporate prayer important for us? Or is it low down the priority list? Are our weekly prayer meetings, some of them on Zoom, some of them here in the building, are they things for just five or six or 10 or 12 really keen people? Or are they for all the church family? I think Acts gives us the answer to those questions. Now look at how prayer begins. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Do you think that's rather a surprising start to the prayer? They've just come out of prison. They're, they're feeling persecuted and harassed by the authorities. How would you expect them to start a prayer? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? It's God-focused right from the start. Sovereign Lord, it begins, and goes on to praise him for what he's made and for what he's said. The Bible is full of names and titles and forms of address for God and for Jesus. And they can, they can provide us with a great way of beginning a prayer. Do you, do you sometimes think, I don't know where to start? I don't know how to begin a prayer. Well, try choosing a word used in the Bible to address God and use that as a springboard for your prayers. Jesus did that, didn't he? When the disciples asked him, they said to him, how should we pray? And Jesus said, well, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And in a sense, the rest of that prayer, the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, is a meditation on those opening words, our Father. The Lord's Prayer is really meant to be an example of how to go about praying. It's not really supposed to be something just to say by rote, although saying it by rote is a lot better than not praying at all. And sometimes in times of desperation, when other words fail us, the Lord's Prayer is a great prayer to use. But it's a prayer that teaches us how to pray, how to think about praying. Our Father, when I think about God as my Father, what, what comes next? Oh, he's my Father in heaven. 
and I hallow and I, and I worship his name and I say to you be the glory but I also want you to be present here with me on earth thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and I need you give me today my daily bread and forgive me those things I do wrong and so on and so forth the single word here in Acts 4 which the NIV translates sovereign lord It's a single word. It doesn't occur a lot in Scripture, although it comes in a few places in the Old Testament. It's also, by the way, the word Simeon uses at the start of that famous prayer in Luke 2, the Nunc Dimittis. Sovereign Lord, now dismiss your servant in peace. And and this prayer, this prayer here in Acts, can be seen as a meditation on those words, Sovereign Lord. How could we base a prayer on those words today? Lord God, we have a sovereign queen who is faithful and devoted, but is also physically frail and politically powerless. But we thank you that you are a sovereign God who is faithful, but also strong and mighty, as well as devoted. You are able to save. You will never die. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord God, we have a sovereign parliament, which is democratically elected and filled with people who, as we've seen this week, are willing to risk their lives for democracy, but who also at times are vain and deceitful and proud. But we thank you that you are a sovereign God who has authority over the whole cosmos and yet came to us humbly and gently, dying for us, but also rising again. You are answerable to no man or woman. You do not court popularity or status, but you make yourself nothing, taking the very form of a servant and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we could go on, sovereign Lord. If in doubt in your prayers, talk about God. Talk to God about what he's like. That's a great place to start. Right, next verse. The root of prayer. What do we see next? Well, it's a prayer that's rooted in Scripture because these are words from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. It's a prayer that is rooted in Scripture. We see this time and time again in the New Testament. Prayers which take a psalm or another passage from the Bible and use it as the basis of prayer. Are you struggling in your prayer life? Take a psalm and talk to God about how the psalm points to Jesus, just as the New Testament believers took this psalm and saw it pointing to Jesus. Talk to God about how it was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. How maybe these are words that Jesus himself could have prayed. By all means, talk about how it might express your own feelings or circumstances too. But the New Testament particularly encourages us to use all scripture to focus our prayers on Jesus. Pick a well-known psalm. I mean, I don't know. Psalm, psalm 23, perhaps the most well-known psalm. How, how might one pray Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Lord God, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep, who gives his life for his sheep, who comes running after the, the one sheep that's gone astray. That's the kind of shepherd I have who leads me beside still waters. 
Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus has gone through the valley of death for me. So that even though I might physically die, even though things might go wrong in my life, I know I am safe and secure because the one who walks with me, with his rod and his staff comforting me, is the one who's been through this life for me. Lord, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. And how have I got the confidence to know this? Because Jesus died and rose again. And the good shepherd is somebody I don't just talk about, but I know personally. Prayers rooted in Scripture. Prayers rooted in what Scripture tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's carry on. The frame of, now what do I mean by the frame of prayer? Let me explain this. So, so, the, so the, uh, the, the disciples sort of, they meditated on that passage of scripture they just read and they sort of apply it. They use it to frame their own situation. They don't look at their own situation and think that's the defining thing about themselves and then say, well, let's find a bit of God that we can draw into this situation. They say, well, what's God like and how does that define our situation? And, they, and, they, and therefore they see everything that's going on around them, Herod and Pontius Pilate and everybody else, plotting against Jesus and against the church. They see that as framed by the passage of Scripture they've just read. Indeed, Pontius Pilate and Herod met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Only now, after addressing God and meditating on his character and on Scripture, do the believers start to hint about the circumstances they're facing, the problems they're facing. By the time they get to this stage in their prayer, they were already thinking in terms of, well, well, what's God got to say in this? They're already able to frame the whole, their whole circumstances theologically, as it were. The primary issue, they realize, is not that they're having a hard time. The primary issue is that Herod and Pilate and so on are, have, have opposed and are still opposing Jesus Christ. They're able to see that situation, their situation, as a continuation of the situation that Jesus faced. They're interpreting their own circumstances in the light of Scripture and in the light of Christ. What might that look like today? Instead of a prayer which begins, Lord, look at my problem and help me get out of it, which is very me-focused, we might pray a prayer more like, Lord, I'm concerned that in this home or this college or this workplace or in this extended family, the name of Jesus is being dishonored, just as it was when the church was persecuted in Acts 4. That the glory of Jesus is being obscured, just as it was when Ananias and Sapphira lied in Acts 5. That the church of Jesus is being divided, just as it was when the food was being unfairly distributed in Acts 6. And Lord, I'm sorry for the part I've played in that. And I ask for your help that I might be more like Barnabas and less like Ananias and Sapphira. More of an encourager and less of a grumbler. More of a worshipper and less of a consumer. More of a proclaimer and less of a doubter. I root my prayers, I frame my prayers in what the Bible tells me about God and about the times I'm living in. 
And if you need help with this, piggyback off those who've gone before us. Uh, James has referred to the, a Pete Gregg book on prayer, which is, which is a great book. Or buy a book of set prayers, which other saints have crafted carefully and which have stood the test of time. I, the book I always recommend is Jonathan Aitken's Prayers for People Under Pressure. Jonathan Aitken, the cabinet minister who, who went to prison for perjury, became a Christian. Uh, he's compiled a book of prayers, Prayers for People Under Pressure. It's a great book of prayers. Don't despise set prayers and liturgical prayers. Use them as a springboard for your own spontaneous, heartfelt prayers. If you want to learn more about how to pray, read Tim Keller's book on prayer. But also do what the early church did. Come to a prayer meeting and listen to how others pray. Be inspired, encouraged by the prayers of the saints in Haywards Heath Baptist Church. Right, which brings us at last to the actual request. After all these points, we actually get to the point where the apostles, where the early church asks something. Lord, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Note how long it takes in this prayer to get to the actual request. Even in the circumstances they faced, their request is not the main thing. And note how even this request is focused on God and on his glory and on Jesus. It's not a cringing, self-pitying, self-focused, self-obsessed request. It's a big, brave, God-honoring, Jesus-proclaiming request. Basically, the request is, Oh Lord, help us to honor you in this situation. And please would you do something here now because we believe that you really are the sovereign Lord that we began our prayer talking to. We believe that and we ask you to share, show your sovereignty now in the situation we face. And what happens? Well, note finally the result. Doesn't always happen this quickly. Doesn't always happen this directly doesn't always happen in quite the way we want. But for their and our encouragement, they did get it quickly. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Would we like this place to be shaken? Yes, some of you would. Would you like us to, God to wake us up and send us out and do something? Well, that's what God does when people pray, when people join together for prayer. Don't you long to be part of something like that? Don't you long for the opportunity to gather with fellow believers, whether in person or online, to pray to the same sovereign Lord who the early church prayed to? Wouldn't you want to make that a priority, an absolute priority over everything else, over the box set? or your night in, or your fitness regime, or your DIY and your gardening, even the allotment, your overtime, your promotion prospects, the time frittered away on social media. I do that as well. It, we waste so much time on other things and say, well, I haven't quite got the time to pray, or I don't know how to. But the point about these words in Scripture is they show us how to, and they encourage us. 
won't you turn to God in prayer, expectant that he will hear and answer and speak and intervene and equip and shake and fill? Won't you make prayer, personal and corporate prayer, part of the fabric and rhythm of your life? And if you want to do so, but you're not quite sure how and you're a bit scared about the whole thing, well, start simple. Set aside some regular time with, by yourself and with other people. Get some help. We've talked about some of the books that you can read. Start with the Lord's Prayer. Start with Psalm 23. Start with something simple. Start with those short, direct prayers. God, I need your help. Come and overwhelm me with your spirit and help me to pray. But above all, this prayer encourages us. Make God the focus. Don't talk too much about yourself and the situation you're in. Talk to God about God and ask him for more of him. Because that's always a prayer he's going to answer. Let's pray. Dear God, what a privilege it is to be able to talk to you, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, the one who created everything, the one who is also, we know, on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who gave his only son, how can he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We thank you for the kind of God you are, a loving, gracious, forgiving, merciful God, an awesome, powerful, holy God. And we thank you that you, this God, want to hear from us. You want to hear our voice. You long to hear us cry out to you. Lord God, forgive us for our reticence, for our laziness, for our fearfulness, for our hesitancy. Help us, Lord, to cry to you. However inadequate our prayers might be, help us, we pray. Help us, we pray, for we need your help. Help us this week to pray to take a step forward in prayer, to be inspired by those folk in the Acts of the Apostles who in their own difficult circumstances cried out to you and saw you answer. Lord, we give you thanks and we pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end with a song. That reminds us of the kind of God we worship, a good God, a God who pursues us in his goodness. Let's use this to worship and glorify him as we sing together.